Hey, this is Paul. This is Storm. And this is Jonathan Colton, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. You certainly are. Big time. Affirmative. That was definitely an e-ticket. I can't believe all the new gadgets they've got now. For a while, we didn't even have a house phone, not to mention laser discs, high-def TV. You are listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. This week on the show. If it's your kid, I think they should be able to write and read what they want. If it's my kid, <laughs> heck no. It's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy because I'm, I'm a big proponent of writing as an expression and reading as an expression. But there, you know, there are second and third graders that I have seen who read the crossover. And I was like, no way would I ever let my kid read the crossover. Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. This is the Great Big Beautiful Podcast, facebook.com slash GBB Podcast. Sorry, the GBB Podcast. I said it wrong. Oh, but I'm going to be you've been, you've, been, you've been getting much better. It used to be you would never say it right. So I'm, I'm, That's you true. Know, this is the first time That's in a true. long time you got it wrong. <laughs> and we're also at that on Twitter. Just go back and rewind it and you can hear it. <laughs> we're at the GBB <laughs> Podcast on Twitter as well. And how are you guys doing today? Excellent. 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 Sam, how are you doing? Being with Mr. Burns. Excellent. Uh, it's Friday. That's always a good thing. When I it's Friday as we're Friday. recording. Don't confuse people. It's Friday oh, as we're recording. Sorry. I, oh, edit that out. Dude, I'm on Friday time. Sorry. So you can just skip that whole part. I'm doing very well, Jamie. Thanks for asking. Appreciate that. <laughs> So, if any, all of you listeners, you have to know the amount of editing that sometimes goes into this. Um, one of our last podcasts, <laughs> it was crazy how much editing had to happen because we recorded the whole thing, and then a guy was voice was just missing. <laughs> so, <laughs> we, you know, I feel I feel like this is something that we should address. So, um, you have mentioned recently that we use this new thing to record these intros, so it, it, it yes. separates out the audio, and we like it a lot. So it's called ZenCaster. Um, we're not plug; they're not paying us; we're not plugging them. It's just you know we we like it; it works, and it took us 140 episodes to find it. Um, <laughs> so we like it; and it works, but it has one like glaring fatal flaw that is like I don't know how they've. <laughs> They've they've instituted this software and it's, it's such a glaring oversight. So everybody has to click into this link and then it records um, like natively on your microphone, whatever. Yeah. And then and then like whoever set it up will get sent separate audio files for everybody's uh, it's different tracks. So it's whoever was on the call. So like right now there's three of us and we're going to be recording three separate audio tracks that Justin will then put together. Well, if it, once you finish recording, if you close out your like your tab on your browser before it finishes uploading or something, it just completely dumps your audio. Like there's no warning, there's no notice, there's no um, there, there's no like upfront like hey you know remember don't close until you get the all clear. But, like, if you jump the gun or don't tell somebody and they just mm -hmm. close it out at the end because they think that they're done, you've just lost that audio. Um, and that seems like a pretty big um, um, oversight, I guess. Right. Well, and I think there might be a little message, but it's nothing that prevents you. Like, what they could have on there is you hit the X and then it could say, like, do you really want to do this? It's not going to, you, you know sure? what I mean? Like, how it blocks you from doing it. <laughs> Are you sure you're not going to send your audio properly if you don't do it? Yeah, then, yeah there should be a warning message. Yeah. I agree. Um, yeah, so we had, thank, thankfully, this, you know, when we learned this the hard way, but it was not with a guest. It was during one of these intros, um, and we 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 kind of made do. We went back, and we didn't re-record the entire thing, and Justin had did a phenomenal job of editing thank it all you. together to sound somewhat fluent. <laughs> and the, the, the best so part about it, though, is... My hat is off to you, sir. The best part about it was that we had to, the, to make it work, 
it had to go, so it sounded like Jamie was just talking to himself for five minutes. Like, he just kept, like, well, answering himself. How, and <laughs> yeah, it's usually how it is. I, I do talk, um, and I don't shut up. So, yeah, but that, that episode... Really? Yeah, I know. It's hard to believe. Um, <laughs> that episode particularly, it was just, like, ten solid minutes of me talking. Yeah. And it was like, wow, I just didn't shut up, did I? <laughs> <laughs> so that's that's the fun of recording a podcast, but it, we we love it, and this new program is great. So we're not gonna I'm not gonna knock it too much because I want it to keep working for me. I don't no. want it to randomly just be like, hey, yeah. you made fun of us, so we're not gonna work because you know the internet, <laughs> you know the internet works like that, right? <laughs> so Jamie, you and Samantha did a podcast this week. You interviewed a fine, lovely guest. Why don't you talk and set them up? <laughs> <laughs> we did. We talked to Kwame Alexander, um, and he is an author who has won the Newbery and a bunch of other awards. Um, but he, he he's a how do I set this up? So he he's known for lots of different genres. Like he he obviously won the Newbery for uh, a novel. Um, he won he won for Booked, and uh, he has written several novels. He has written. Um, a lot of poetry. Uh, one of his newest books, he's got a picture book out now that is um, poems um, paired with these really, really beautiful photographs. Uh, the book is called Animal Arc, and um, he's he's partnered with uh, this uh, organization, this photographer who is. It's his mission is to take pictures of. Um, I probably should have done my homework a little bit better, but he's, I don't know if it's every animal, but like he, what he does is he takes these gorgeous photos of different animals, but then he presents them all as if they were the same size. So like an Mm -hmm. elephant looks the same size as a grasshopper, like on the page. So there's no context. They're just against like white or black backgrounds. Like there's no background. There's no like leaf or tree or plants or anything. It's just the animal. It's just a close up on the animal, um, presented in this one size and every animal is presented basically the same way. And obviously different animals look differently. So they're not identical photos, but, um, it's just this gorgeous photography project that, that he's doing. Um, and they put out this picture book with um, several dozen just beautiful, beautiful photos. Uh, and Kwame and a couple other poets came together and they wrote a bunch of poems to um, to accompany the photos. And it's very, it's very uh, eco-friendly environment, it has a big environmental message. Um, but it's, I mean, it's worth it for the photos alone. And then compared with the, with the poems, it's just, it's a really, really great book. Um, but we talk about a lot. Sam, I mean, you want to jump in? Let's talk about what what we what we covered here because we covered a, quite a bit of ground. Oh, sure. I was just, I was mesmerized by your voice there. I, I could, oh, see, it. that's how it happens. I get mesmerized <laughs> by my is. own voice and I just start talking. Next thing I know, <laughs> yeah. it's ten minutes later, and it's still me talking. <laughs> um, I, I was really moved by the Out of Wonder book. Um, yeah, I, I picked up a copy of that, and it, it's this. I kind of wish I'd gotten it. It's in my son's room. He's never given it back after I got it and and read it ahead of the interview. Um, he's had it in there. It's by his bed. Um, but I mean, it's a hardback book, and I mean, it's it's a square book, and it's it's large, and it is just gorgeous. Um, and what they did was it, it again. It was a collaboration, so it was Kwame and several other poets. And what they did was they each did, and they took turns, you know, so like each of them has like four or five poems in there, but they took a famous poet and mimicked their style, but then wrote about something kind of, well, at least I found them kind of odd for that style and it worked and it was really cool and it had gorgeous artwork on every single page to go with it. Um, Illustrations, it wasn't photographs, but it was good. And there were a lot of good poems in there. Um, yeah. I've read it a couple times. The boy, I just call him the boy. He likes it. <laughs> and we're going to, we're going to donate it to a school here at the end of the year so that other nice. children can enjoy it as well. But it was, nice. it was really nice. And, uh, I, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised. I, I love poetry. Um, I, I read it just, just for the funsies, but <laughs> that it's specifically written for, you know, middle school age kids and, I found myself wanting to go back and reread certain ones. And that was interesting to me that I would be kind of captivated by something that was, 
I guess maybe it's the young adult of yeah. uh, of poetry. Yeah. yeah, it was just very well done. I really liked the yeah. book. Yeah, a lot. Mo- I mean, I wish I'd say a lot. I, that's kind of cutting him short. Like a lot of it's, his stuff is really good. I mean, m- m- all of it's really good. And I should correct myself. I think I said booked won the Newberry. It was actually the crossover that won the Newberry. Is the 2015 Newberry. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, he, we, we, like I said, we cover a lot of ground. Like, so we, we talk about Animal Arc and the project that he's doing. We talk about, um, his poetry a lot. We talk about Out of Wonder. Um, we, we also, you know, we ask him about, um, how much of his work is autobiographical because, uh, a lot of his books are, are very, um, the crossover and booked and a couple of others of, of his books, they kind of focus on sports um, and that to me was interesting and I wanted to know how much of that was really grounded in his own life. Um, and then as Samantha says, we, uh, we, we kind of fanboy a little bit over Hamilton. <laughs> a little <laughs> understatement. We both have daughters who are almost exactly the same age and who are obsessed with Hamilton. So we, we bonded a little bit about that and about how, uh, Hamilton has basically taken over our families through our children, which is a little bit surprising. I mean, Hamilton is a great musical. It's a great show, but I, like, I am, I am really interested in how so many kids have just attached to this show and like how many kids I know and that, um, can sing the entire musical, can sing entire songs, are just obsessed with this show. And on its surface, it doesn't really seem like it would be a show that is maybe not necessarily kid friendly, but you know, the like it's there are a few parts that are definitely not I mean, kid friendly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's got it's got some language, it's got some sexual scenes, it's about, you know, Alexander Hamilton and the American Revolution and the starting. I mean, like the content of it does not scream elementary school kids are going to love this, you know, but they have. And I have so many kids and it's just not only mine, but like I see it at her school. I see it at uh, friends of hers from other schools. They just love Hamilton and they love the songs and they can sing every song. And that to me is just that's amazing to me. Um, and so I'm really curious about why that is and like why kids have have really connected to that that show and that music. You need to do a documentary to find out, I think. <laughs> you think I, I should? Sure. OK, I'll get, get a film, I'll add to get the a list. film, uh, a film grant from somewhere and do it. I'll, I'll add that to the list of projects that I need to do. Sure. <laughs> All right, guys. So we're going to go play that interview for you right now. Hope you enjoy Let's start off talking about Animal Arc. Um, I wanted to know how you first got connected to Joel and the Photo Arc project. I visited the Photo Arc exhibit at National Geographic and was just blown away by the beauty and the diversity and the, and the fragility of these animals that were all on the verge of extinction and, and wanted to do something you know, from a literary perspective to, to see if we could reach children um, even more. Yeah. You mentioned in the back of the book that you have been drawn more and more to collaborative projects, which, you know, you did here. Why is that? I love working, you know, I love being around other people. Yeah. I mean, I'm a willing participant in life. And I, I like to think that if you want to, sort of write authentic books you have to have you have to live an authentic life and for me that is you know being inspired as much as possible putting myself in situations where I can sort of soak up the world and so you know whether it's uh, writing my books at Panera Bread which is something I love to do Mm -hmm. um, because I'm around so many people and or whether it's going on a writing retreat with some of my writer friends or in the in the in the uh, in this particular circumstance, whether it's working on a book with some writing uh, friends of mine, like we did with Animal Art, Mary Randhess and Deanna Nakaito and myself, the three of us, you know, we we worked on this project together. So that's an exciting thing for me to to. I love surrounding myself with people who 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 inspire me, and hopefully, um, I do the same for them. Yeah. You mentioned, um, you know, the other people who worked on this book. What was the collaboration like for Animal Arc? I mean, in terms of 
you know, selecting the photos and then writing the poems to accompany them. Did you, did you, how did you go about selecting which images to use? Did you just have like thousands of pictures and you just chose the ones that spoke to you personally? Yeah, we had about 5,000 and, uh, and we chose, you know, we narrowed it down to about 30, 32 or so. Wow. And it was just, it was a crapshoot. They're all beautiful. <laughs> some are, some are not so beautiful, <laughs> but you know, like, like the Malayan tapir, which is kind of—I don't want to say it's ugly. Wait, 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 wait. The baby tapir that's toward the end of the book. I know, I know. You, I mean, it's not the cutest thing. That but here's the thing. That's <laughs> my favorite picture. <laughs> I love that. I turned the page. I saw that baby tapir, and I think I—I I audibly went, "Oh," because it was just so adorable. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. You know, to each his own. But here's the beauty of it. Joel made them all look stunning. Yes. You know, with his black backdrops and his white backdrops, he made he made them all equal. He made them all the same size, and he brought out the beauty in each of them. So, so we can we can find some common ground there. Absolutely, absolutely. When you you know, so you you chose the pictures that that you were going to include, and you sat down to write. What led to writing them as a series of haiku, as opposed to another form? Um, haiku were short, concise, <laughs> you know, they dealt with nature. Yeah. Um, we figured that um, it was a nice little parallel with, with, with these animals in that regard. And then we knew that uh, children ages four to eight, you know, would be able to at least not be intimidated by all the words on the page. And, and, and perhaps these, the, the, the way the words dance on the pages, how many feathers does it take to make a wing, to fly, share sky? We figured the economy of words would work really well with that particular age group. At the same time, it could still be literary enough for the parents to, to, to find some wonder in it. Sure. So, Kwame, I wanted to ask, do you have a preferred poetic form to write in? You know, like when you sit down to write, you know, you probably have a topic or something that you want to write about. Is there a style that tends to just flow out more often than others? No, I'm sort of all over the map. It depends <laughs> on what, what the topic, what the theme is, what the book is, how I'm feeling in that moment, how much time I have to work on the particular poem or project. So it, it really varies. But, I, no, I, I, I'm not, you know, I don't have a particular form that I, you know, love more than any other. Yeah. Okay. The, uh, you mentioned, you know, the, the focus of PhotoArc, the project, uh, not just this book, uh, but the project in general, is to document every species in captivity. And in Joel's note in the back of the book, he mentions that he hopes the project will inspire families to become members of their local zoo or aquarium. Um, I'm, I'm just curious to know your thoughts about institutions like that, because sometimes, especially recently, it seems they've been under fire. You know, they've been the subject of, of scrutiny and even some suspicion about whether zoos and aquariums have uh, have a place in society and what that what that role is. And I'm just wondering, you know, since you've been since you're involved in this 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 project and you've you've attached yourself to it. What do you see as their role? I mean, do you think that there's still a place or do, is do they actually perpetuate any harms? Wow. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> really? It's early in the morning? I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> what? I have never been asked that question. That's, 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 well, that's, yeah, wow. So the, here's where, here's where I'm coming from is I, you know, I'm a big proponent of, you know, getting kids outdoors and getting kids out and exploring nature. And I've talked to some, you know, other authors and, and people who also advocate for that. And it seems that, you know, things like zoos and aquariums and to a much larger degree like circuses, you know, where they, they have animals and they have them perform. They, people seem to have, you know, whether even though they agree that kids need to get outside, kids need to be exposed to animals and wildlife and, and all this great stuff. But people seem to be torn about zoos and aquariums and whether they are largely doing good or whether they're largely doing, you know, ill. This is what I know. I... I grew up going to the Brooklyn uh, Children's Museum, the Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn Zoo. I grew up going to aquariums. I grew up being fascinated, you know, by, by the beauty and the diversity of, of, of these animals. I grew up sort of 
understanding that the world was much bigger than my than, than my own existence, that there were other creatures on this earth. There was a chorus of creatures. I grew up going to zoos and aquariums. Um, so that's one fact. Mm-hmm. This is what I. This is also what I know. I don't believe in any kind of you know uh, inhumane treatment for 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 any animal, human or or four-legged or ferried or feathered. Um, so to the degree that um, that is not happening, you know, I'm I'm all for that. Um, the, the I guess the last piece of it is. Outside of that, my wife tells me sometimes, Kwame, you get asked a question, and if you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know yet. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so that's a heavy question, brother. So <laughs> I'm going to give that some serious thought. I mean, that's the beauty of poetry, man, and yeah. the beauty of books, in particular children's books. It's not about the answers. It's about asking the questions that's right. that are going to you know, make us wonder. Lucille Clifton says poems come out of wonder, not out of knowing. Yeah. And so you have triggered something in me, my friend, that's going to make me explore this even more. Okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be of service, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's talk about poetry. Um, some of your most famous books, uh, they're notorious for you know bending genres and introducing poetry to young readers. Uh, and you do it in a way that it makes it palatable for them. You know, And this might be... A gross overgeneralization. So tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems that kids, especially in elementary and middle school, they have a hard time engaging with poetry. Um, they think it's too abstract, or they don't know how to read it. They don't know how to understand it. it I, why is that? Is it just that poetry is being taught wrong in schools, or is it something else? So first of all, it's a great question. Did you just refer to me as being notorious? I said your books are <laughs> notorious. <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. I accept that. All right. Okay, I heard it. I heard it. I heard it the wrong way. Um, I uh, I don't think the kids have a problem with the poetry, man. Yeah. I think it's us. I think we're the ones who make it abstract. I think we're the ones who try to dissect it. I think we're the ones who try to make them, you know, not just deal with the feeling of it and and try to analyze it and and sterilize it. I think that's that's the teachers and the adults and the parents. I think we've forgotten how beautiful and cool and fun poetry is. Mm-hmm. Um, I've gone into last year. I did 177 school visits. Holy and moly! I, and so every school to you know to a kid, to a boy, to a girl left those auditoriums feeling like, oh wow, that's poetry. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. I love it. Oh my gosh, I want to read more poetry. And the teachers were appreciative that we were able to sort of make the poetry more accessible and more relatable for students. So I think we've just got to do a better job of introducing poetry that is going to be a bridge to get young people excited about reading and writing. And those are the kind of books I try to write. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting because I read your book out of wonder and it really was wonderful. And, you know, I'm, definitely not a child, but I'm very excited to have my son read this. And one of the things I caught was in the intro that you wrote to that book, you mentioned that you you saw some poetry when you were really young, like elementary school, and then you didn't really see it again until pretty much college. And I had kind of that same experience. I mean, in, in high school, we read the, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Uh, you know, I took a mythology course in high school, but that was it. And I'm not going to lie. Those I'm glad I read those. They did not make me want to read more poetry. They they didn't help the cause. So I'm wondering, you know, what do you think happens in schools that that just kind of drops off the radar like it doesn't even get shown to them? And do you have some poets that you recommend to say middle school and and you know, younger high schooler kids maybe that I can provide to some teachers, say for my son's school, to kind of get them back into using poetry all the way through school. Yeah, I think what happens is after fourth, fifth grade, we go from, you know, Shel Silverstein to in elementary school to reading Shakespeare in high school. And you can't expect the kid to make that leap. There has to be a bridge. So what happens is we don't have a bridge. We, you know, the canon or the um, or or the curriculum dictates that 
you know, we are going to be reading poetry that we think kids are supposed to um, read because it's what we were forced to read or what we thought we had or what our teachers thought we had to read. And at some point, somebody's got to realize that books are amusement parks. Mm. Poetry, poetry is, a, is a roller coaster, and you've got to let kids choose the right roller coaster. Let them choose the ride. Let them decide which ride to go on, and you've got to make it fun for them or they're not going to be engaged with it. They're going to do the work because they need the grade. But if we want them to get engaged and excited about it, then you've got to introduce them to Langston Hughes. You've got to introduce them to, to Rhyme Schemer by K.A. Holt. You've got to introduce them to, you know, to Nikki Giovanni. You've got to introduce them to, to I Carry Your Heart in My Heart, E.E. E. Cummings, and let them see how so many rules he breaks and how the punctuation is all over the place. And you've got to let them have fun with that. And you've got to introduce them to haiku and let them write three lines and, and, and watch them write those three lines and let it build confidence yeah. that they've been able to accomplish this. And so now maybe they can go on and write a list poem. And so you've got to introduce, you know, second and third graders to spine poems. Let them go in the library, divide them into groups of four, and say, all right, find four books, line them up by spine out, and let the titles on each, spine, on each book create a poem. A four-line poem using the titles on a spine, and watch those kids go for it and race, and real, and make them understand that the poems still have to make sense. Yeah, you can't just put four titles together that you think are cool, and watch them explore and watch them, you know, sort of wonder and wander. But you got to make sure poetry is. You got to find the poetry that is a bridge. Because, again, like you said, Iliad and Odyssey are amazing, and they are necessary. But they aren't sort of the beginning of of the uh, the journey. They aren't they aren't even the middle of the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want us to continue the journey, you got to give us some stuff along the way that's going to uh, keep us, you know, hydrated and keep us in- engaged. The uh, the bio on your website says that you believe poetry can change the world. Um, how? Yeah, I did say that, didn't I? You did. <laughs> hey, look, I'm I'm speaking from a personal experience, so I'll give yeah. you three examples. Okay. I wrote a poem a day for this woman I, I thought was amazing, and that was my way of courting her because I didn't have any money or anything. <clears throat> I didn't have a car, and so I wrote her a poem a day. And we've been married for 18 years. Must have worked. It changed my world. <laughs> Poetry changed my world. Um, I met this kid in uh, in Singapore. I was there talking about the crossover, and he's a seventh grade kid, and and I was reading poetry and, and talking about the power of poetry and sharing stories from my life about how poems have allowed me to sort of embrace what's possible in, in, in the world and, and, and how I've learned to say yes and and that night on Facebook, he wrote the following. He said, for all of my life, which has, you know, essentially been 12 years, yeah. I, and this, is the, this was the headmaster or the principal's son. He said, I have been a say-no person. I have not been engaged or interested in anything. I've, I've just constantly said no to things, including when my parents ask me in, to do things. And they probably think I'm crazy. But what I learned today is that words are powerful. And I've learned to, I think I want to be a say yes person now. This is a 12-year-old. That's amazing. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. last week, two weeks ago, um, I was in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and I got, I was signing books, and this woman gave me a letter. She said, I just want you to read it. And so the next morning, about 6 a.m., when I woke up, I I read the letter, and the letter was from a kid um, at a local school in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, who said that... He uh, he was he, he was a huge basketball fan and player, and he had never read a book. And he read the crossover, and he couldn't put it down. He couldn't focus on anything in his life but reading that book. And he wanted to thank me for writing it. And it was just a beautiful letter. And and he couldn't wait to read more books. Wow. And and I call I called the lady because she put her card attached to the letter. And I said, Look, I want to go meet this kid. And so we showed up at her school and surprised him. And it was almost as if I was uh, Jimi Hendrix or Bon Jovi. 
The kid just went crazy. He couldn't believe it, and he called his friends, and he had he wanted me to sign his book, and he just had so much he wanted to talk about. And you talk about how do you get kids and how do you get boys excited about reading? Mm-hmm. I tell you, the answer is poetry. It can change their worlds. Wow. That's amazing. And I'm sure those are just two stories of, of hundreds that you must have, you know, in all the school visits you go to. But it's still, it's still thrilling, even as an outsider, to hear stories like that and how just words and books can, can really change a kid's attitude entirely. It's amazing. You can't. You can't change the world until you want to change it. Until yeah. you, until you, until you're changed, and that's so. That's where it starts. Like you said, it starts with that attitude, and I think poetry can do that. Yeah. Um, if if you're being honest, you know, how aside from Which the I've ob- tried to be during this entire absolutely interview. no, and I'm, I'm I'm trying I'm trying to not let you slide into God. dishonesty. I'm keeping you honest here. <laughs> <laughs> There's no sliding into dishonesty. So if you're going to continue being honest, I should say, um, aside from the obviousness of increased exposure, how did the Newberry affect your career or change the way that you approach writing? Well, it's a little bit more pressure, um, yeah. but I think I'm up for it. I mean, I'm, I'm humble, but I'm also really confident. So, and that, that's my parents. Um, when I was two years old, my teacher uh, in daycare told my parents that I, uh, I was a little too arrogant and because I was scaring the other kids with my words. And my mother said, thank you, we teach him to use his words. <laughs> That's you know, amazing. So, so this, is, this is my parents' fault. Yeah. Right? Um, um, and so, of course, you know, this happens. My wife tells me this also. I'll go off on a tangent and forget what the question was. Can you repeat that? <laughs> No, I was just asking whether the you know the 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 ex- increased exposure and the pressure of the Newberry whether it's changed how you approach your writing. So the writing it hasn't changed how I approach the writing. I still approach it in the same way. I like to be around people. Um, I, um, I, I have the same sort of process. Uh, I have to write a little faster now. Um, the, the crossover took five years. Um, mm. Uh, to write, and I, I had the luxury of having that. I don't have five years to write a book anymore, right. um, which which I'm not complaining about. But I think what it did do was, um, I guess, the first twenty some years of my career, I uh, I compare it to, I was a my writing was a jet plane, and it was on a runway, mm-hmm. and I was I was the twenty fourth or twenty fifth plane in the queue. And so I'm just sitting there, and every now and then I'll move up a little bit. And you know eventually you're going to take off, but you don't know how long am I going to have to sit here on this runway. Mm-hmm. And I think once I got the Newberry call, I was the first in line. And the plane took off, and it soared 30,000 feet. And and it's a new kind of normal to be in, and it took me a while to get used to it. And I don't think I'm still really used to it, mm-hmm. but I'm still soaring. Yeah. Man, that's a beautiful analogy. Yeah, it's it's real, man. Yeah. It's real. Wow. <laughs> I get I get goosebumps just talking about it. Yeah. Um you've mentioned that there you know, in other interviews and in, in your writing, you've mentioned that there are a lot of aspects of booked um that are autobiographical. Um as a writer though, generally speaking, when do you tell yourself that it's it's okay to write a story or to tell a story that you might not have any personal experience with? Um, I, when I get there, I'll let you know. Really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, everything I've written has some personal connection. I'm drawing from something. Yeah. Um, so I've, I haven't done that yet. Um, I wrote a, a book, uh, I wrote a story, a story in verse called, uh, uh, I forget the name of it, maybe $76.36. It's, a, it's in a collection called Flying Lessons. Okay. And it's about a kid, a uh, 13, 14-year-old kid who has ESP. Um, he eats some ice cream, and his brain freezes. Uh, <laughs> he, he, ate it, he ate it too fast, and, and all of a sudden he can begin to hear people's thoughts, his family's thoughts. And obviously that's not real at all. That what? came from nowhere. What? But, right? It's not. But, but what is real is my dad used to take us to get high ice cream, 
every Sunday after church. And I remember drinking the milkshakes too fast and getting that brain freeze. And, <laughs> and so that was a part of my life growing up as a kid. But And so taking that and what happens if it just goes, you know, to a whole nother extreme, that brain freeze. So so certainly I'm I'm drawing from a lot of things yeah. in my life. Yeah. Well, I mean, so what do you say to, to writers who may want to include you know, perspectives or points of view in their writing but that are totally foreign to their own lives and to the, what they've experienced. You know, they want to do right by their audience and be inclusive and, and be, you know, diverse, but they're not exactly sure the best way to approach it. You know, I mean, you're no stranger to the, to, to the controversies that are out there now, and it's, obviously this has become a sensitive issue. So I wonder what your advice is to other writers who want to include those points of view and those characters, but they might not have it that's not part of who they are personally man you're getting deep i'm sorry man it's it is early for he deep don't be sorry don't yeah. be sorry I'm sorry, don't be sorry. <laughs> this, is, this is good well i think you answered the question yeah well, yeah i think you answered the question what do you tell those writers who want to sort of step outside but don't have that as a part of your life uh, duh, make it a part of your life. Yeah. <laughs> well, You can't write authentic books if you don't live an authentic life. You know, you can't, you just can't. And, and so if you want to write a book and you want to be, quote, diverse and you want to have some people of color and you look around at your friends and, and your family and, and your neighbors and, and your colleagues and you have no relationships with people of color, yeah. the problem is not your writing, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I see where you're going. Your <laughs> so you need to get a life that's going to be, you know, the kind of life you 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 think represents who you are and who you want to be. Mm -hmm. That's that's the truth. I mean, otherwise, you know, you, you you're just going to end up making, you know, if you try to write a book about something that you don't know that you, and and. And it's going to be problematic. Now, the flip side of that is, you know, if you want to write a book about ESP, yeah, <laughs> you know, you don't know that either. Sure. So how do you get to know that? And I think that's the question. You gotta, you you gotta do, you gotta, you gotta put in the work, and and sometimes that work is research, and sometimes that work is living. Yeah. Right. I think that's that's good, um, a good answer. And, and I, you know, one of the ways that I was thinking about it was you tend to write about boys. You were a boy. That makes sense. So, like, if somebody say Jamie were to try to write a book and he wants to include a major character that's a female, he clearly hasn't lived as a female, at least not that I know of. So, it he would have to draw from the females, the strong females in his life in order to write an authentic, strong female character, I believe was was kind of a, a version of what you were saying. Does that make sense? That's it. It does. And, and of course, okay. we, we all have <clears throat> women in our lives. And so you're not you're not sort of trying to, you know, manufacture this this uh, relationship to to characters that are foreign to you. You, you live it, so you just have to be in tune to that. And so, of course, that means that you have to, our lives really um, should be reflective. If, if we consider ourselves to be, you know, Americans, you know, what, what does that mean to you? And, and does your life reflect that? And does it mean you need to go out and get, you know, an Asian friend? No, it doesn't mean that. It means you need you need to be more in tune to the people who are around you because you don't have to go looking too far. People are there. Are you? Do you feel connected to them? You know, mm -hmm. and it, it goes back to this book that we've been talking about, animal art. Yeah, these animals are here. They're they're a part of our world. But how connected are you to them? Are you? You know, have you joined a zoo? Have you gone to an aquarium? Have you recycled? You know, have, what have you done to sort of, you know, be a part of this, this, this huge family that goes outside of your own house? Yeah. yeah I, I, think, I think animal arc will probably escape um, 
this trap, which I'm about to explain, um, just by the nature of what it is. Um, but you know, Sam mentioned you know the write books and stories about boys, and that's you know where you're coming from. So the crossover and booked both feature male protagonists, and they're you know primarily about sports. And so as a result, I think they typically are categorized as quote unquote boys books. Um, and I'm wondering why that's still happening. Like, why is this? Why is there still this compulsion to categorize books by gender? I think for the same reason people want to categorize them by race. There's a woman who asked me. I wrote a book about two frogs. It's called Surfs Up, mm-hmm. and uh, they're going to the beach. One frog is going to surf, but the other frog's not ready because he can't put down Moby Dick. He's too into it. <laughs> And, and he's describing the story, and, and so of course by the time they finally get to the beach, he's finished, and he's like, "Wow!" And the other frog now doesn't want to go surfing because he wants to read the book. Mm-hmm. And this woman comes up to me at a book signing, and she says, "Can you? I got black kids and white kids in my library. Can you tell me what color are the frogs?" What? And I was like, "What? Are you serious?" They're green, probably. <laughs> exactly. Really? And so we want to. It's it's human nature, and it's the. Uh, the adults, the kids aren't the problem. The adults try to segregate the literature, unfortunately. Yeah. And and it shouldn't be that way. All the books for all the kids, it doesn't matter. So yeah. I don't know the answer to that question other than it's sort of our nature, our human nature. And, and that's one of the things that I don't necessarily, obviously I don't buy into it. And I try to spend my life mm-hmm. uh, trying to change it. We have to be. We have to be better. Those of us who are in a position to put books in the hands of kids... I think it's, it's the onus is on us to, to be better about that. Yep. Yep. Same. True. Yeah. Yeah. I was just going to kind of follow on to that, um, that question there, because, you know, I, I kind of get why you use sports as a hook to get kids, but maybe even particularly boys interested. There do tend to be more boys interested in sports. Um, but it made me remember, when my son was was in elementary school, fairly young, I want to say it was third grade, uh, one of the boys he knew in class got in trouble because during art class, he freeform drew like an epic battle scene. And the teachers got concerned that it was too violent and they were worried about the little boy. And I'm just sitting there going, I don't know that those are necessarily bad things. You know, the kid's interested in these types of stories and this type of art. Um, and I was wondering, kind of, what are your thoughts on that, of there being topics that are bad things for kids to be interested in? Or is it just let them draw or write what they're interested in and see where it goes? Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, if it's your kid, I think they should be able to write and read what they want. If it's my kid, <laughs> heck no. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It's hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy because I'm, I'm a big proponent of writing as an expression and reading as an expression. But there, you know, there are second and third graders that I have seen who read the crossover. And I was like, no way would I ever let my kid read the crossover. And she's eight years old and she's been begging to read it. <clears throat> and I, I'm thinking maybe I'll let her read it in fourth grade. Um, but I guess it just depends on the child. You know, yeah. it depends on the child and you got to you got to know the child, you know, so that you can be able to teach them effectively and make sure that they have the tools, you know, um, at their disposal that are going to help them. But you got to know that particular child. So I don't know if I have a blanket answer for that. You know, mm-hmm. I just know my child, you know, how she deals with 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 things that uh, are. Are, are heavy and emotionally and and she's a crier and she's sensitive and so there's no way I'm letting her you know engage in in that type of stuff because I want to protect her but you know maybe next year um I, I know we're, we're running out of time with you but I, I need to ask we have daughter no, no we gotta do this like for another hour oh, I'm here man let's do it <laughs> We uh, we have daughters the same age, and so okay. this this might seem like a weird question, but I have to ask: Is she into Hamilton? Dude. Okay, okay that's so all you need to say, right there. Hold, you can. St- hold, hold <laughs> is this is this taped or live? We're taped. I love it. So, and where where are you located? Uh, physically, I'm right outside of DC. I'm in Maryland. 
But this is a blog talk radio kind of thing. Oh yeah, yeah. This is uh, it's going to be on geekdad.com, but we're we're a podcast, separate podcast for Geekdad. So this 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 child knows every lyric. Yeah. She she wants she wants to, her alarm clock is Hamilton. Yep. So she's waking up to it, yeah. and she has no idea. She has no idea. And this goes back to your other question, and you you're probably going to think I'm contradicting myself, which I probably am. And that's what parents do. We have no idea what we're doing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm surprising her with tickets to Hamilton in June. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Have you seen so it yet? She will be in fourth grade. She will be in fourth grade then officially because she'll be out of third grade. So maybe I'm not contradicting myself. Right. Have you seen it yet? <laughs> I've seen it twice. Okay. So I just, my wife and I just went actually last, two weekends ago. We just saw it. And uh, my daughter can sing the entire show end to end, beginning to end. She'll, she'll, you know, she knows every word. She knows every scene. She's got the book. She knows what every, all the original cast look like. I mean, she listens to it endlessly. And I know she's not alone, not alone because she has friends who are in the same boat. And it is ridiculously popular among kids, which I think is the most surprising turn of events for that show. I mean, it, it's, it was groundbreaking. It's catchy. It's got great music. It's got great writing. So I think obviously it became a hit. Sure. Understood. But why is it so infectious for kids? Like, why have they glommed onto it in the way that they have? My my daughter said, uh, <clears throat> we were in the car, and she said, Dad, why didn't we support the French in the war? Yeah. Like, whoa. I know, right? <laughs> I think this, this entire conversation we ha- we've had is illust- illustrative of the reason why. Yeah. I mean, there it is. Poetry, uh, rhythm, rhyme. You want to engage kids with literature, with, in- with history, with the world? I say poetry is a surefire way to get that happening. Concise language. I think that's what Hamilton is. It's sort of it's a it's a cousin to poetry. It's it's spoken word and hip hop and 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 and, and, and music and I, and I think there is a soundtrack to everything and, and it's how kids it's how all of us really connect to each other and to the world and and I think Hamilton just did that in a way that nothing else on stage has ever done. And 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 I, I think if I were to make some sort of comparison, I would say that I didn't set out to do that, but certainly the crossover has had a similar sort mm-hmm. of impact. Mm-hmm. And, and teachers are now saying, oh, poetry does work with my seventh graders. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's amazing. I, and I, I see it. And, you know, I mean, Hamilton is, it's poetry. It is. And it, and it has grab these kids i mean i never thought exactly like you i never thought my daughter would come up to me asking me questions about lafayette and, and aaron burr you know i, mean, I just didn't think right, in, in right. second grade this is not going to be part of her world but it is and she's you know we we go to new york and she wants we had to take her to hamilton's grave and we had to go up to his house up in up in harlem and i mean like we make hamilton pilgrimages now because she just needs to be there and that's it's astonishing to me it's astonishing and you're right i think i think your books and you know the poetry is what grabs the kids because it's so unexpected it's it's so not so far removed from their daily lives but it's so it's so different to them that it's it's memorable and it really grabs them and shakes them up and i think that's that's what more kids need they need a good shaking up i think well, let's let's shake it let's shake it up, man, and get our kids together and have a little Hamilton uh, performance. D- done. It's a date. Let's do it. <laughs> Guami, thank you so much for your time. This has been phenomenal. Thank you so much. You guys rock. I appreciate it. Geek Dad forever. So uh, I think that we should create a musical about Justin Trudeau and see how good it does. What do you think? <laughs> I actually sure. saw a I saw a meme the other day and I thought it was really funny and I had to share it. And it was a picture. Have you ever seen the Hey Girl memes with Ryan Gosling? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I know what you're talking about. So there about. was one of Justin Trudeau and he says, Hey girl, I'll cover your pre existing conditions. Yes, I've seen that. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. I have to say, Ryan Gosling does nothing for me. Um, but that one, I, I was tempted not by him, just by having the fact that I had a baby be covered by my insurance would be lovely. <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Yeah, there's some benefits to living here, that's for sure. Just a couple. <laughs> so, so fantastic conversation, politics aside. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what you were talking about with Hamilton and it taking over, and it's, it's it's funny because the content of it is, you know, like American history, mm-hmm. and even people here and around the world are in love with the musical, and that's that just speaks to yeah. good storytelling and good writing, and you know, just it just speaks to that, right? Absolutely. I mean, the music is very catchy. You know, the songs yeah. are very catchy. They're very singable. They're very danceable. They re- they're so many of those songs really do just get stuck in your head, and you find yourself singing them at weird, random times. Um, <laughs> but I mean, he did something that was really remarkable, and that he took this story, which you know is a, it is a dramatic story, depending on how you tell it. You know, the founding fathers and the starting of America. I mean, there are dramatic moments to be sure. But, you know, to talk about Alexander Hamilton, who was best known as the Secretary of the Treasury and for giving us yep. credit in starting the America's bank, like that just that does not sound compelling. You don't you don't hear that. and You'd be like, that needs to be a musical. You know? <laughs> I have to write a story about it. <laughs> it's just it's just astonishing. It's like I, I just find the whole thing so interesting. So interesting. I wonder what musicals will be written about Donald Trump. Oh, uh, I, you know, I was pondering that when you talked about Trudeau a little bit ago, and yeah. I'm like, it would just have to be just the just the raunchiest, nastiest comedy musical you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> yeah, like Book of Mormon kind of thing. Uh, maybe worse. Maybe worse. Yeah. <laughs> maybe worse. I think we need we need some time though. That cannot be something that's going to come in the next decade. Like that'll no. be too soon. No, no. <laughs> I need I need time to heal first, please. You need to be able to look back My and be like, what were we thinking when we did that, guys? Like, what happened? What were? We, yeah, we we need to we need the distance to be able to look back and be able to laugh and not cry. Yeah. And that's where we are. We're not. Exactly. We're no, nobody's at that point. It's hard to laugh when you're in the midst of it. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say now. Is there anything you wanted to talk about, touch on with the guest? Nah. Nah. He's had his time. Let's do it. Just wrap it up. Move on. He's had his time. Just remember to cut this part out. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Leave it in. He's had his time. We don't care about him. (laughs) Leave it in. Hilarious. Nobody listens this long into the show anyway. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for coming back every single week. If you're not a subscriber, why don't you join the family? Hit subscribe on whatever app you found us on. And also, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at the GBB Podcast. Then you can connect with us personally. How exciting. I know that just made your day. I am Justin at 140JustinC. And Samantha is... I am Jamie at... Oh, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm jumping (laughs) the gun. Jeez, ladies first at least once today, please. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm just waiting for the lady to jump in. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Samantha Fisher on Facebook, uh, you know, facebook.com slash Samantha A. Fisher. And you can find me writing over at geekmom.com. I am at the Roarbots. <laughs> <laughs> One time we're going to have a guest on here and I want them to drop every single thing. Link, uh, on LinkedIn, I'm I'm Justin. Uh, I have a Tinder profile. <laughs> Can you that imagine? Like they, they list off like 15 things. That'd be great. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next week right here at the same place. Take care. This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.